that he's given us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. Paul said, For though I be free of all, from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this morning, with the help of the Lord, I'm simply going to be preaching from that last word, some. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your anointing and your presence that is here. We ask you, Lord, that your word would stir our hearts today, that you would increase our faith, Lord, that you would challenge your people, Lord, and help us to lift up our heads to you, Lord, from whence comes our help, Lord. Anoint me to bring your word as you would have it brought, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When the Apostle Paul had his very famous conversion experience on the road to Damascus, we know that he was transformed from being a Pharisee who was totally and utterly devoted to the study and the upholding of the law of Moses to being an apostle. He went from being a Pharisee to being an apostle and most of us are familiar with that word, but an apostle is simply somebody who is sent forth or sent out. Usually speaks of someone who goes to a nation, a city, or a place that does not have the gospel, begins to reach for the souls of people in that place and see them one to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there has possibly never been another individual quite like Paul who was so driven in his labor and his passion to take the gospel to the world. I don't say that as a negative statement towards anybody else, but rather it's a, an acknowledgement of the kind of man that Paul was. Amen. My, my old pastor, Brother Jacobson, always struck me in his personalities being somewhat like the Apostle Paul. And even in his passion for the kingdom, he was a man that was always looking for somewhere to start a church. Uh, he was never content with just the, the, the workload he had. He was always looking to other cities and towns around about the area. And even in his latter years, as his health degenerated, he was in the midst of trying to start a church in a town that did not have an apostolic church. But Paul went to his brethren, to the Jews, with the gospel whenever he could. It didn't matter which city he went to, which country he went to. His, often his first place that he would start to try to begin something was in the synagogue or in the, the community of those that were Jews that had been relocated. And he went to so many different countries, cities, regions, looking for a way to preach the gospel. When he got there and he reached some people, he would make disciples that they could carry on the work as he continued his quest to reach new places. And a part, as a part of those efforts, Paul gave himself to connecting with others, to meeting with them at whatever was the level of their circumstances. If he went to the Jews, he adapted to them. If they were Gentiles, he took that into account. If it was people who were weak, he had compassion upon them. He said that he did all things he could do to all men 
without compromising his own walk with God. He made that clear. In another place, he spoke of spending his own resources and being spent himself as a resource, even if it seemed that the more he loved the people he was ministering to, the less that they loved him. He gave everything that he had for the kingdom. And when all this was done, when he poured his life into these people, into these places, when he had given everything to be all things to all men, he acknowledged that his goal was just to be able to save some. Paul knew that not everybody would respond to the gospel message. He knew that there would be those who would reject him and what he preached. He wrote to us of those who would walk away and those who did walk away. He, you hear his heart in the epistles when he speaks of those who've compromised, those who've backslidden and gone out into the world and back into sin. He was grief-stricken when he, when he wrote of people that had been involved, that he'd been involved in reaching and seeing them one to the kingdom of God of how they'd turned to false doctrine or others who were so full of pride that they were now hurting the church causing division and yet in the midst of that pain that is quite tangible in his epistles he continued to preach he continued to witness he continued to serve because even though he could not save them all he could save some and I want to leave a very simple thought with us today and that is simply that the some still matter today the some still matter today. The dictionary tells us that some simply means an unspecified amount or number. Paul declared that he was reaching for everybody, all things, all men, but he knew very clearly that he would only save some, but he also knew that the some he would reach were worth it, that it mattered, that even in the disappointment and the discouragement, he continued to reach. And I would submit to us this morning that this is the same mindset that Jesus had, the same mindset that he wants us to have as his people today, as his children, as the people of his bride in the church, that we need to have that same mindset. Perhaps the most well-known verse of Scripture in the world is John chapter 3 and verse 16, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The scripture declares plainly that he gave himself for the whole world, not a part thereof, all men, all women, all young people, all children. He gave his life for every single one. Peter wrote to us in 2 Peter 3 and 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us or to us would not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance it is god's will it is god's desire that nobody is lost that nobody will perish but that all will come to repentance that is his reason that is his purpose that's why he was incarnate that's why he came in the flesh because he knew that he had to be the only opportunity for all of humanity he had the same idea about all that Paul had about all. He was reaching for the whole world. And yet, he walked the streets of Israel and he taught parables like the sower in the seed. 
where good seed would fall on four different types of soil and only one of the four types of soil would produce good fruit. And he gave them understanding that the seed was the word of God and that the soil was the hearts of people. He painted a picture in that parable of what we would look at and call a 25% success rate. And he wasn't saying that that's the official figure, that you'll get one out of every four. If that was the guarantee, we'd just start plowing through people and guarantee we got one out of every four. But what he was letting us know was that not everybody will respond to the seed. Not everybody will respond to the word. And yet he still thought they were worth it. He looked over the city of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, seemed to be from an elevated position and he wept for the opportunity that was passing them by. He wept for the consequences that he knew would come upon Jerusalem because they turned their back on him. And yet he still went to the cross for the sun. For the sun. He told of wedding feasts where guests would reject invitations and still they were sent out anyway. When the first guest list said we can't make it, he sent out more invitations. The message was clear that not everybody would listen, but that everybody deserved an opportunity. That was the message of the gospel. He even spoke of a Broadway that leads to destruction and a multitude that would choose, using the power of choice we talked about this morning, a multitude would choose to go that way. But in the same statements, he said that there was also a narrow way that not many would find, but some would. Because the sum still matter. It's an unspecified number. We do not know who or how many, but we do know that Jesus is going to have a bride. He is going to present to him a body, a bride that is spotless, that is without blemish, that is pure and holy, because some will be saved. Some will hear the gospel. Some will respond to the word of God, and he considers them important enough to go to the lengths that he did. People are still being saved from sin. They're still being born again. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 says, And such were some of you. That's us. We were, you read the verses before that, it describes some pretty bad sin. And he said, that's what some of you were. But you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want to remind us this morning, and I've said this many times and I will continue to, somebody witnessed to you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Amen? Somebody invited you to church. Somebody invited you to a Bible study. Somebody shared their testimony with you. Ridicule and rejection was definitely possible reactions. Your response was not guaranteed come here from the Lord this morning to try to stir our hearts for souls, come to try to confront discouragement and negative mindsets. Jesus has not yet returned, which means that there are still some that will hear the gospel, that will believe. Oh, but pastor, you don't know how many times I've tried. My family's rejected me. My friends won't listen. It doesn't seem to matter what I say or do. And I think most of us have experienced that. Paul knew those feelings. His own brethren constantly rejected and persecuted him. Constantly. 
At one point, he writes of how he feels abandoned by all the believers in Asia. They've all abandoned me. They've all forsaken me. And I can promise you that in that dark and damp prison in Rome, there were some nights when he wondered about it all. Was it worth it? Jesus himself had trouble reaching those in his own hometown because they didn't honor him or respect him. So the prophets without honor in his own country, he was just Jesus. He was just the strange kid that grew up in the carpenter's house. He, he would have been the strange kid at school, I can tell you that. Never got in trouble, never did the wrong thing. He would have been the weird kid at school. And even at one point, his disciples appeared to be weighing up whether or not they should continue to follow him. And he said to them, will you also leave me? He knew what it was to feel that rejection. In his humanity, both the Lord and Paul could relate to feelings of discouragement, of wondering why is it worth it, God, why does this happen? If I've poured myself into these people, this person, and they turn their back on you, is it all worth it? But the sum was still worth it. The sum was still worth it. You know, people would come to visit Paul in prison and he would minister to them. You know, there are some traditions that suggest that, I don't know if this is fact or not, but there are some traditions that suggest they had to rotate Paul's guards because if a guard spent too long with him, he would convert them. The sum still mattered. By this stage, he probably could have said, you know, I've been everywhere. I've been shipwrecked. I've been whipped. I've been stoned. I've been chased out of town. Time after time, I'm just going to sit here in this prison cell and feel sorry for myself. But every person that he came into contact with, whether free or in bonds, he reached for. He reached for every soldier, the people that no doubt had caused him physical pain. He reached for them. Jesus reached for people from the cross. Stephen reached for people, interceded for people while he was being stoned to death. Because the sum still matter. Stephen's attitude in the book of Acts always stirs my heart. And I preached a little while ago about how his attitude and his execution impacted a young man named Saul of Tarsus who watched with judgment in his heart, who believed this young man deserved to die, stood there full of arrogance and pride, but something about this young man's witness affected Paul that it bothered his conscience that when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. They're pricking your conscience, Paul. You can't shut out that young man's face and see the peace on his face as he died because some still matter. After his resurrection, Jesus told them that they would receive power and that that power would cause them to be witnesses to be demonstrations throughout the world. Why? Because some would listen and some would believe. I know how it feels to be discouraged. I know how it feels to not want to be ridiculed or rejected. That's a perfectly normal human response. If you enjoy rejection and ridicule, you need help. But some things matter more than my comfort. Brother David was talking to me this morning about a man he went into during the week that used to attend our church, a man I did a Bible study with for months. Got baptized in Jesus' name, was filled with the Holy Ghost and for reasons I still don't understand decided to stop coming to church. 
went and visited him, do from time to time. He's not here anymore. That stuff hurts. But some still matter. Because in the midst of rejection, there are going to be some that listen. Amen. We feel discouragement. I understand that. I, I don't like being ridiculed. I don't like being rejected. But here's the question. How many souls being saved makes it worth it? That many. If you reach one soul, is it not worth the ridicule? Is it not worth the rejection? Is it not worth the stony ground and wondering why you even bothered throwing seed there in the first place? Is it not worth it if one soul gets saved? If he hasn't come back yet, that means there's still one more out there. Amen, because some still matter. The devil wants us to believe that nobody is interested in the gospel. But you and I are proof that that is just another lie. We're not here from some time machine. We weren't transported from 100 years ago. We live in 2022, and we want to serve him, and we believe what he said. Amen. Oh, but pastor, it's a modern world. The Bible's old-fashioned. I was talking to the young people last night. Do some study. Get into some history and find out what Ephesus and Corinth, Philippi and and all those places were like 2,000 years ago. And you'll find out there's not a whole lot of difference between where we're living today. Yeah, they didn't have iPhones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have social media, but they had immorality. They had all sorts of perversions going on, all sorts of wickedness. And when Paul went amongst those communities, he stuck out like a sore thumb. He was a Pharisee. He was a man that wouldn't even eat bacon. He wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do that. And they were doing everything. And he walked their streets and told them about a Savior named Jesus who died for them, who loved them enough to give his life. Some of them wanted to kill him. Some of them put him into prison. Some ran him out of town like he was diseased. But every once in a while, somebody would take him into their home, sit him down and allow him an opportunity, a space to talk about the gospel. People like Priscilla and Aquila, Lydia, all these others that he mentions by name that have churches in their homes and in their cities because some still mattered. And if anybody had a reason to give up, it was the Apostle Paul. Think about what he went through. I don't, think, I don't think he fits into any metric of success that the world would come up with. And I think at the end of his life, he no doubt wondered, well, was it all worth it? I sat with Brother Jacobson once, and he spoke about wondering if he'd made much of a difference. And his, in his memory, there are pastors and preachers and missionaries across this nation and across this region. But we all have doubt. Sometimes we all have questions, but the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. There are still some out there. Amen. There are more than we think. Amen. But we've got to shake ourselves and get out of a negative mindset and feel like it's us four and no more and lock the doors and hold on till Jesus comes. That is not what the Word of God says. Hallelujah. He said that we would preach the gospel, that we would be witnesses that we would lay hands on the sick and that they would recover. Amen. I want to look at a couple of scriptural examples to try to help us and maybe challenge us today. And I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to share is some guaranteed success model for reaching people. There isn't one. But I hope it might challenge and help our understanding. John chapter 4, I'm not going to read any of this. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Jesus finds himself at a well. His disciples go into town to get food. 
and a woman comes to the well in the heat of the day because she is of poor reputation. She does not come in the cool of the day, in the morning or the evening when all the other ladies came, but she comes at a time when she wants to avoid their judgmental eyes and their ridicule and their mocking. She is a sinner. She is lost. And the Lord sits there and he waits. And I want to say before I go any further, none of this works if we don't love souls. If our motive is not the love of God for his image creature that is corrupt and broken, then don't even bother. It must come from a heart that loves souls. Jesus startles her by beginning a conversation. He crosses cultural lines, all kinds of social properness, propriety. He just crosses that and begins to talk to her. Talks to her about giving him a drink of water and she's shocked and this this conversation goes backwards and forwards and he starts in the natural. He starts in everyday life and talks about needing a drink of water. Everybody needs a drink of water. And then that conversation transitions and he begins to talk to her about living water. Talks to her about how the water that she's going to take up out of this well will just quench her thirst for a short period and then she'll need some more. He said, but if you knew who it was, you would ask of him living water. If you drank that, you'll never thirst again. And when he begins to speak about that, what happens is a thirst begins to generate in this woman's heart that she doesn't even know was there before that. And she expresses a desire to have this living water. And Jesus changes lanes and begins to talk to her about sin. Begins to talk to her about her need to address sin, her need to be saved and she hasn't put it all together yet but his message is that the living water and sin are part of the same issue the reason you're thirsty is because you're in sin the reason you need the living water is because you're broken and you're corrupt and you're you're falling apart in your own life and when we talk to people we need to start a conversation we need to be friendly if that's a revelation we're in a bad place (laughs) You know, we need to be able to talk to somebody about normal life. Don't walk up to some random in the supermarket and ask them if they're going to heaven or hell. Make a connection. I talk to all sorts of people when I'm out. They probably think I'm a little bit crazy. That's okay. So do some of you. That's all right. Make a connection with people. You know, Sister Sham, who some of us know, I traveled with brother and sister Sham. She talks to everybody everywhere you go. Consequently, it takes a very long time to get where you're going. But she will sit and talk to random strangers in the mall, in the airport, in the street, wherever, ask them about their kids, whatever it is. She will start a conversation. And if you follow her on social media, you'll have seen in the last week or two, she's been sharing stories about random connections that she's made with people that have connected to other people that she's known. We've got to be able to connect to people. Well, I'm shy. I get that. This is a word from the Lord. Get over yourself. Souls matter more than your shyness. I'm not saying you become this extrovert, crazy person that talks to everybody. I'm only asking you to talk to one person, not the whole town. We've got to connect with people. If an opportunity arises in that conversation, you can begin to share a testimony. You can begin to, you, we need to normalize conversation about God. It should not be weird. It doesn't matter where I go, if I go to the mechanic, if I go to the dry cleaner, wherever I go, if they, I just talk about what I did on the week. If they say, how was your week? I say, oh, great, we was in church yesterday. I don't make it this big spiritual thing. They say, we had church yesterday. If that opens a conversation, fantastic. If it doesn't, they know I went to church yesterday. 
my dry cleaner, who unfortunately is selling his business and moving to Adelaide, is the roughest guts man. But you know, I've built enough connection with him. He knows I pastor a church. He rings me to talk about football. No other dry cleaner's ever rung me before. It's kind of really weird. But you build a connection with people. You look for You may never get an opportunity, but God gives us opportunity. But we have to take, we, we need to, you know, here's something you might not get that really, when I was praying and, and asking the Lord for direction, that just thought it was so simple. Not all of Jesus' conversations are recorded. We think that every time he spoke to somebody, he did a miracle, cast out a demon, raised a dead person. He had a lot of normal conversations. They're not recorded, but they were there. He, he lived a fairly normal life to a certain degree. He had everyday conversations, but from time to time, that conversation produced an opportunity. Like the woman at the well. Amen. It, we don't complicate it. If, if something we say generates a thirst in somebody's heart, follow that where it goes. If it doesn't care for them, you never know where conversations will go, but some will, because some still matter. Amen. There's a young man I was telling the young people last night. I did a Christian counseling course a few years ago. There's a young man in my, in my class. He had to pull out halfway through because of some personal issues. Developed a connection with him, got to talk to him. I got to share with my study group. We, we, we sat and we had a study group of about six people one night. One of our assignments was, it said something like, in church history, there's been some controversy around the Holy Ghost. Why is that? And what do you think that means? And they were like, I've never even heard about the controversy about the Holy Ghost. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Open the door. We had a Bible study right then and there for about an hour about the Holy Ghost. And some of my fellow students told me that the whole course was worth that night. Now, I've never seen any of them again. But Brother Jonathan sends me an email a couple of weeks ago about a possible camp venue for our Western Australian Regional Youth Camp next year. He's doing a great job getting early, getting ready this early. And he says, oh, this is where we're looking at. We've never been there before. I don't know much about the venue. But then a couple of days after that, this young man appears on my Facebook feed, he and his wife having just been made the live on-site caretakers of that camp. Who's going to be at that camp? I'm looking for Daniel. Ask you to pray for Daniel if you would. You got to do. You got. You never know what God will bring around. My wife is always concerned for her family, her extended family. And when we were on the Gold Coast a few weeks ago, my wife has a. I'm going to get this wrong. She has a cousin that is living on the Gold Coast because her cousin's daughter is is very sick with cancer, and her cousin moved from Melbourne to be with her. And my wife reached out to, to Eleanor and said, hey, we're going to be here. She came over and had coffee with us in the place where we were staying. Then she came to church on Sunday morning when I preached. She's Catholic. She's, you know, it's pretty well a birthright when you're Italian. And, and she came to church. She didn't understand everything that's going on. But as the Spirit of God began to move on her, the tears come down her face. We connected her with Sister Glass, who many of you know, Sister Glass said she'd stay in touch with her. It seemed like it was a one and done. I got a message about 10 minutes ago from Sister Jean. She was in church this morning. It matters that you try. You are not responsible for results, but some will still believe. 
Bible tells us in the book of Acts about a man named Apollos. Apollos is a man of faith, a man of great faith. He's a powerful, eloquent preacher. One of those people you listen to and think, man, we should preach like him. Passionate for the things of God. But his understanding is limited to the baptism of John the Baptist. That's as much as he knew at that point. He doesn't know anything about the new birth. He doesn't yet understand that we have to be born again of water and spirit, that we need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And a man and his wife by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, who were already in the church, already baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, they heard him preach. The Bible says they took him unto themselves. That means they took him home for dinner. They showed him the way more perfectly. They did not attack him. They did not ridicule him. They started with what he knew and they said, have you thought about this? They added to where he was at and he, the parts that he didn't know yet. And he responded to the gospel. And went on from there. The Bible says that he went from there to mightily convert people to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. When you meet somebody else who believes in God, but their understanding is incomplete, like Apollos, never ever question their journey. Never ever question their sincerity. Never ever question their faith. God may have them on a path. You may be appointed to be on that path. And your place on that path may be very, very significant. So handle it with great care and responsibility. Amen. I'm glad for the people I've had the opportunity to meet whose journey is still only partial. I want you to understand this morning, if it wasn't for somebody's willingness to reach to my mother, I'd probably still be, well, no, I don't think I'd still be in the Mormon church. I probably left when I got older. But somebody reached to us when we were in a church that is so far removed from the Bible because there was faith there. There was a desire to know God and have an experience with God. You should always find common ground. Don't start with differences, find common ground. Find what you both believe in so that you're together and then add to that. Have you considered what the Word of God says? Have you ever been baptized? What do you think about Have you re- Do what Paul did in Acts 19. Have you received the Holy Ghost? The what? Oh, okay, well, how were you baptized? You know, connect, find common ground and build. Never disregard or disrespect somebody's journey thus far. Give them an opportunity to accept the truth of the oneness of God, of who Jesus is, and the need to be born again of water and spirit. And always realize, not everybody's going to respond to Aquila and Priscilla like Apollos did. Sometimes you sow a seed, you leave the seed. Some matter. All things to all men that I might save some. Amen. I want you to understand if you have, the, and I, I've said this historically many times, if you have the Holy Ghost, then you are by default a missionary. And your circle, family, friends, workplace, school, is your mission field. Every single spirit-filled person here is a missionary. We may not need a passport. We may not have to support you when you move to the other side of the planet. But if you have the Holy Ghost, you have a mission. And you have a field. And if you've already managed to convert everybody in your circle, find another circle. I think we've all got a circle that needs work, right? But every one of us 
is a missionary. But we get discouraged. I understand that. We begin to listen to the lie that people don't want to listen. I understand that. We've got to shake ourselves, get back to the Word of God, and say, if Paul was willing to give it all to save some, what excuse do we have? And finally, the last, I talked about the sinner, talked about the person who's got incomplete understanding. Let's talk about the prodigals for a moment. People that are raised in good homes, taught the Word of God, but for whatever reason, leave home, waste themselves and their inheritance. They hit rock bottom. Luke chapter 15, if you don't know that story. Return with a repentant heart and a willingness to be a servant and they're welcomed home by their father. Amen. We, most of us probably know someone who has known the Lord and walked away. Some of us it's family members. Some of us it's friends. This is my advice to you in that situation. Continue to pray for them. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never let your prayer commitment be affected by observable results. God works in the invisible. What's the Bible say? The wind blows where it listeth. You cannot, you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going, but you hear it. We see its effects. Trust that God works in secret. And the next thing I would say is always, always keep the door open. But never move the house. Keep the door open but never move the house. We need to maintain connections if we can. Sometimes we wonder if we should compromise or we should change to make it easier, but if they're going to come home, there must be a home to come home to. There must be somewhere that they can come back. And I believe that the combination of keeping the door open, of loving them when you have the opportunity, but also being faithful to what we believe is crucial. I have seen people whose family members have walked away from God or compromised on on the truth of God's word and in their grief and their heartbreak they have compromised with them to try to do that but the problem is you've got to have somewhere to come back to. There needs to be somewhere to come home. God wants to use you. That is my message to us this morning. God wants to use you to reach the sum. Not the all, just the sum. Stand with me if you would this morning. We will not reach everybody. You hear people talk about a worldwide revival. I don't have a problem with that concept as long as that means it's people being saved from everywhere in the world. We're not going to reach the whole world. It's not going to happen. That's not negative. That's fact. That's fact. But there are still some. There are some. God cares about each single individual. He took Philip out of a citywide revival, put him in the desert for one man. God has always found a way to reach people. He's always found a way to get a hold of you. You've got to build a connection. My, I shared this with the young people last night. My, my, my sister-in-law is in a, in a relationship with a man who's been through tragedy in his own life. And in that tragedy, he is searching for answers. The orthodox religion of his culture has not given him those answers. He's gone overseas in his sincere desire. He's gone on spiritual journeys to India, and we think about it, and we think that's a bit crazy, but he's desperate for something. And we were there in March, I think it was, and we went to we went to Catholic Mass. Don't think poorly of me. I'm not Catholic. We went there just to be able to visit some of my wife's family. And afterwards we went to a relative's house for tea and coffee and food and all that stuff and 
I deliberately sat next to him and began to ask him about his journey, talk to him about what he'd experienced and why he went that path. And I began to sow seeds and just say, oh, okay, have you thought about this? And, and he asked me and I said, well, this is why I believe what I believe and this is what I'm looking for and this is where my hope at. And then you begin to plant a seed. And now my sister-in-law, who is backslidden, is watching him being drawn by God. (laughs) She sent a message to my wife just recently. She said, I know what's going on here. She said, God's drawing him. Because you just try. You're not responsible for all the outcomes. You're responsible to take the seed bag, to walk out into the field again and say, in Jesus' name, and throw that seed. Don't worry about the hard ground. Don't worry about the thorns. Don't worry about what the birds take. There's seed out there. There's soil out there that that seed is going to fall into because some are still going to believe. I'm not talking small numbers. Some can be thousands. Some could be hundreds of thousands and it's just a drop in the buck of the world. I'm not talking about a small mindset. Don't get that impression. God wants to reach lots of souls. But if he's going to do it, it's going to be through you and me people we touch, people we care about, people we love. It's got to come from a love for souls. We need to shake ourselves and remember somebody reached me. Somebody reached my parents so that I was raised in the church. Somebody taught us a Bible study. Somebody shared their testimony with me. Somebody invited me to that crazy Pentecostal church where they clap and they shout and they cry and they speak in tongues and I didn't understand it all, but God was reaching for our hearts. We all have a story. Let's be part of somebody else's story. Let's make ourselves available for just a small part in somebody else's story. Because he's still reaching for some. And he went to the cross knowing the multitude would still go the broad way and he went anyway. God, I pray today, lift your hands across this building. Hallelujah. Lord, speak to us this morning. Stir our hearts today, Lord God, I pray. Lord, give us a burden for salts. Give us a love for the lost, Lord God. Help us to see them the way that you see them, Lord God. We cannot reach them all, God, but we can reach some. We can save some, Lord Jesus.